Uh, this morning, if you'll take your Bible, Acts chapter 6 in your left hand, 1 Timothy chapter 3 in your right hand, we have been talking the last two weeks about the role of a deacon in the body of Christ uh, because we are at the point as a church where we need to recommend and appoint men into the office of a deacon. And so uh, we needed to take some time to understand this biblically before we just jump into uh, the process of deacon ordination. And so Acts chapter 6, we, we really see the first, what I'll say is the first instance of this office, even though they're not called deacons in Acts chapter 6, I think that the need and then the way that the body of Christ responded to a need internally uh, leads us to what God reveals later in 1 Timothy 3 and Philippians chapter 1 concerning the deacon and the office of the deacon. And so uh, let me read the text. I know we have the rain going. We have a metal roof. Don't let that put you to sleep, please. I'll call your name out on the live stream if I see you sleeping. That's a pretty good threat, isn't it? <laughs> and for those of you watching online, man, I can see you right now. So don't be falling asleep. All right, Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. The Bible says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay, And, and, and again, we see the early church growing Disciples are being multiplied. We've experienced some of that in, in a very small way compared to Acts chapter, chapter 6, but I'm thankful for, for God multiplying disciples in the local church. I'm thankful for that. That doesn't come without challenges. And so there was murmuring because there were some widows being neglected in the daily ministration. The physical needs weren't being met. Okay, verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so, and so what you see in verses 2 and 3 is kind of a separation of leadership within the body of Christ. The apostles are, are saying very clearly to the church, hey, we have a lane that we have to stay in. Our, our ministry is the ministry of the Word of God to the body of Christ, and our ministry is prayer for the body of Christ. We have to stay in that lane. So we need some other men to help stay in the lane to, to deal and, and assist with these very physical needs that aren't being met. And here's some qualifications. There's three qualifications mentioned. There's more qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 that, that we began looking at last week. And so the, the apostles are saying, find some men among you who we can appoint over this business. And aren't you thankful that God raises up exactly what you need within the body of Christ? Like when we have challenges and we have needs in our church, I just want you to understand the answer is already among us. So that means if we need nursery workers, the answer is always am already among us. If we need toddler workers, if we need children's church teachers, if we need disciple makers, if we need deacons, and ultimately we need pastors, guess what? Within our own body, as we grow and mature, God provides what we need from within the body of Christ, and I'm thankful for that. And so that's what they do. Verse 4 says, We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, Philip and, and Procurus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they, the apostles, had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And so what we're seeing is a biblical process with men that meet a biblical qualification to serve as deacons in the church. 
And, and these, were, these men were called servants. That, that word diakonos is also translated servant in the New Testament. These men are called to serve the church. They're not called to lead the church. That's the role of the, the pastors, the elders, the apostles. But they are called to serve the physical needs of the church. And so last week we said a deacon first must have the right kind of recommendation. In other words, if anyone's going to be recommended, recommended for a deacon, that recommendation has to come from within the body of Christ, within the local assembly of believers. He says in Acts 6 and verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. And I just want to make the practical point. As we're talking about deacons again this morning, please understand that the qualifications that are required for a deacon ought to be the character found in every Christian. It ought to be found in every Christian because these are all Christ-like characters. And you may say, well, man, I'll never serve as a deacon because, you know, I'm a woman. I'm not called to the office or maybe I'm not willing to serve as a deacon. And that's okay, but I want you to understand the character requirements are still there. And, and we need to be able to look out among ourselves and see this type of character in each other, right? That, that's the goal, that we ought to see Christ-likeness in the lives of each other. And so, again, you already have some blanks filled in this morning, but the recommendations for deacons came from within the church and those that were already qualified, and, uh, and I'm thankful, again, I can't say it enough, that God provides everything that we need from within the body of Christ. Do you remember we mourned the loss of our most valuable church member last Sunday? Those of you that were in service, we had a, a brief memorial for someone else because someone else died. And, and someone else was our most valuable church member for many, many years, and someone else did a lot of the ministry around here, and someone else served in the nursery when no one else would, and someone else served in the toddlers when no one else would. And listen, they were just willing to give of themselves sacrificially. Someone else was so Christ-like. The sad news is for our church that someone else this week is still dead. And what that means is that within the body of Christ, we have everything that we need, and that means that that someone else isn't called to answer that call. We're called to answer that call. Whatever the need is, we're called to answer it, okay? And then number two, we said that a deacon has to have the right kind of life. And so get this down in your notes. All leadership is influence, and influence is a byproduct of character. In other words, if you don't have the right character, you won't be the right type of leader, you will have influence, but it'll be the wrong type of influence. And, and we don't need people in the office of a deacon or, or in the office of a pastor with the wrong character. We've got to measure the character first because that's what God measures first. And, and so we looked at Acts 6. We looked at 1 Timothy 3. Let me read this text to you. You can flip over with your right hand if you want to. 1 Timothy 3 begins the list of qualifications for the deacon. And again, these are in addition to what we saw in Acts chapter 6. And he says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. And, and so we have the qualifications in Acts 6, we have the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, these are character qualities that reflect Christ-likeness. Honest report. Now the devil is a liar and the father of it. 
And so to be Christ-like means that we live in an honest way. We have an honest report amongst both the saved and the lost. We don't reflect our old man before we got saved. And, and when the devil was our father and he was a liar, we were liars. You were a liar. And I was too. <laughs> and God says now in Christ we can live in a way that's honest, that we have an honest report amongst those in the church and outside the church. We need to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. We need to be grave. Again, that's, that's a, a, another equal translation for honesty. We need to not be double-tongued. In other words, we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth. We can't be double-minded. can't be given to much wine because this is a leadership position. We can't be under the influence of something that would cloud our judgment. And can I just tell you, you don't know when the phone's going to ring in ministry. In other words... Well, Jay, it says not given to much wine. Well, the truth is you're not going to be able to, to narrow down when the phone is going to ring in your life and then have a little bit of wine when it ain't going to ring. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to make a legalistic standard. I'm just saying that you never know when the phone rings. And if you've been given to a little bit of wine, your, your judgment's going to be clouded in how you handle that situation. Not given over to filthy lucre. And, and in other words, a man can't work himself to death and not be available to do ministry or the work of the ministry if you work 90 hours a week and have no time left over for God. Uh, one, you're greedy of filthy lucre. Two, you're not available to do ministry. And, and every Christian, really, let's just talk about this. Every Christian should consider their job changes, their promotions, even their opportunities to advance in a company, not from the standpoint of what they add to our life. And that's usually how it works. Man, if I take this position, if I take this raise, if I take this promotion, here's what I get. The reality is, while you get some things, it also may take away from your life time and availability to do ministry. And many times as Christians, that's the last thing we think about as it comes to life-changing decisions. We need to ask the question, how is this decision going to affect my opportunity to minister moving forward. That's free. That ain't even the point of the message this morning. But I'm telling you, if you can get that, how will this decision affect my ability to do ministry moving forward? We would probably make better decisions. We would prioritize Christ in the ministry. The deacon must hold the mystery of faith. In other words, he's got to know the gospel and preach the gospel. He's got to be proven. And proven comes over the course of time. And there's no way around it. And so whatever the opportunity for you is to get involved in church, in ministry, in, in teaching, in bringing chips to an activity, whatever the minimalistic thing that you think, hey, this is not really important, can I just tell you that's part of your proving. It's part of your proving process. And if you can't be faithful in least, you certainly can't be faithful in much. God wants you to be faithful in much. Uh, we need to be blameless, and, and they need to rule their children and their houses as well. And so this morning, we're not done yet. And that's a pretty awesome list, by the way, of, of characteristics required in a deacon. Uh, but, but the text goes on in 1 Timothy 3, and so we'll pick it up in verses 11 and 12. And the next blank in your notes is this. A deacon must have the right kind of wife. So he's got to have the right kind of life. But then he's got to also have, if he's married, he's got to have the right kind of wife. Look at verses 11 and 12 on the screen. It says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. 
Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Now, this is very interesting to me. This is very interesting to me. Why does the Word of God give qualification regarding the deacon and his wife if he's married? And I, and I think the answer to that is because the nature of the service. In other words, and let me say it like this, a pastor who is married isn't going to have the expectation that his wife will be a teaching partner in the ministry. Let me say it like this. There's no such thing as the role of a pastor's wife in the Bible. There's no qualifications for a pastor's wife. There's no biblical guidelines for a pastor's wife. But let me tell you what there is in the Bible, a a qualification and an entitlement or, or, or an expectation of a deacon's wife. And boy, we get that backwards. Because somehow we've thought that the Bible has something to say about the pastor's wife, and it doesn't say anything about her. It has everything to say about the deacon's wife. We had better have a biblical understanding of the requirement for leadership. And the devil doesn't like that, and you may not either, and that's why that's probably cutting out. You see, the deacon wife has expectations. She has to be the right kind of wife. God tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 that pastors and teachers are a gift to the body of Christ. It's a spiritual giftedness. It's a spiritual empowerment to perfect the body of Christ. And listen, that role is reserved for men in the church. And listen, leave his wife out of it. Leave his wife out of it. So you don't have any right to go to the pastor's wife with your grievances, with your complaints, with your error. You also don't have to go, you don't have any, any right to go to her for clarity on teaching or doctrine. You come to your pastor and whomever the pastors are. The office of a deacon is a role that spirit-filled men can fulfill and they bring their wives with them to serve the body of Christ. In other words, the role and office of a deacon is not a spiritual giftedness like the pastor it is. And that means that any spirit-filled man that meets the qualifications can fulfill that role. And nine times out of ten, he's going to take his wife in with him to help. Because the needs of the body are going to be such that, that, by the way, you're going to have the perfect help meet to help you minister physically to the body. Okay? And so the correct rendering in this text is the deacon's wives. Their wives must be these things. Uh, We'll talk about more of that in just a second. Let me just say this. As we talk about these characteristics, these are to be the desire of every Christian woman in the body of Christ. These characteristics are to be just as every man should desire to be qualified to, to be called into the office of the ministry as a pastor or as a deacon, every woman or to desire to have those qualifications in her life and the character in her life. And so as we talk about things, ladies, take this as, a, as an encouragement, that this is what God's desire for you really is. They must be these things. And, and, and you have a key blank in your notes here. Just, just reference back to verse 8, because the deacons must be some things, and his wife must be some things. So God prioritizes being before doing. God prioritizes being before doing. God God cares more about your character and who you are and who you be. That's some bad English right there. Who you be. God cares more about who you be before what you do. And so we need to care about that. So what are the qualifications for a deacon's wife? Number one, she's got to be grave. And again, what that means is she's got to be honest. 
Okay, she can't be a liar. She can't be like the devil. She's got to be honest in her life and her communication. Romans 13, verse 13, it says, let us walk honestly as in the day. In other words, you ought to have an honest, accurate representation of Christ's likeness as in the day of Christ. Because when Christ sets up his millennial kingdom, and after the rapture of the church and after the judgment seat of Christ, you are going to walk honestly before Christ. So you might as well start now. Go ahead and start now. Not in rioting, not in drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. First Peter 2 and verse 12 says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so would, would my church family say that I'm grave? Am I honest? Do I have an honest reputation? Would, would our church family be able to, to look out among ourselves and say, man, that person's grave. That person on, is honest. They have an honest report. Would the lost world say the same thing? Would your employer say the same thing? Your neighbor? Listen, it doesn't mean that people won't speak evil against you, but, but they won't have anything to say because you have good works and an honest report. And so even if people accuse you, it's a false accusation. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so, so a deacon's wife has to be grave. She has to be honest. Number two, she has to, be not, she has to not be slanderers. Okay, the, the deacon's wives can't be slanderers. Now listen, in the body of Christ, we're in the business of building up the saints, not tearing them down. Men can be gossips as well, but in most churches, hang on, give me grace, the women are the guilty party. Sorry, ladies. But in the words of the great prophet Alan Shelby, if I'm going to tell the truth, i got to tell it all. So this, this word slanderer in the New Testament comes from the Greek word diabolos, and that same word is translated in the New Testament as devil. So, so we're talking about slanderers, false accusers, and that is exactly who the devil is. Look at Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, how often? Day and night. So we can learn something about the Bible and, and, and about the devil specifically from the scriptures. He is an accuser of the brethren and he does it day and night. You see, a key characteristic of the devil is that he always has something to say. And it's usually against the brethren. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, first spoken words from the devil. He said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You see, just like, a, uh, just like the devil uh, always is saying something, he's accusing the brethren day and night, he's questioning God's word and the authority of God's word, so is a slanderer. They're always uttering something, whispering something, and it's usually against the brethren. I know that's not in this church, but in other churches, right? Look at Proverbs 10 and verse 18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Proverbs 16 and verse 28 says, A forward man soweth strife and, strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. 
And so get this key down in your notes. When you slander, you become a tool for Satan to hurt the body of Christ. That's why there is a requirement of the deacon's wife to be not only honest, but to have control of her tongue. Because instead of building up the body of Christ, she has the capacity to destroy it. She becomes the instrument of Satan within the body of Christ. And this is serious business, church. That's why God laid it out very clearly that not only has the man got to be qualified, but listen, if he is married, his wife has to meet this character, this qualification. The third qualification is that she's got to be sober. And so soberness not only soberness from the sense of not being uh, intoxicated or, or, or under the influence of a drug or alcohol or whatever, but, but soberness is also a certain mind-mindedness or a thinking pattern, and it results in a type of life that's sensible, that's sane, that's self-controlled, that's sound, rational, and disciplined. In other words, she has to be sober-minded. Why does she have to be sober? Well, first, because we have an enemy. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that we need to be sober. We all need to be sober because you have an enemy. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And again, I'm not preaching against alcohol today. But man, the minute that you're not sober-minded and you're under the influence of anything else, you don't know when the phone rings and you don't know when the devil's going to attack. You don't know. And so God says to be sober because you have an adversary that is walking about seeking to devour your life. You would do well to be sober-minded. The second reason that, that, that the deacon's wife needs to be sober is because she is to be an example of the younger women in the church. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. I love this passage. Side note, if you want to understand what women's ministry in a church is supposed to be, this is it. Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 3 to 5. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You see, we got to have some sensible, sane, self-controlled, sound, rational, and disciplined aged women to teach these young women what's up so that the word of God be not blasphemed. You guys tracking with that? When we do that, well, God says, listen, the word of God is not blasphemed. And I think that if we do anything else in, in the scope of women's ministry, we're probably blaspheming the word of God. You guys okay? I know we switched mics. Are you okay? All right. So listen, would, would my church family say that I'm sober-minded? Am I sensible? Am I sane? Am I under control? Am I sound-minded? Am I rational and disciplined-minded as it relates to ministry, to the Word of God, to ministry to my husband, to my family? And is it something worth reproducing? Number next, faithful in all things. 
You see, the deacon's wife has to be faithful in all things. So what does that mean? Well, number one, she has to be full of faith. That means she has to be saved. But it also means that she needs to have a living faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, faithfulness just means being full of faith, and that's always connected back to the Word of God. You see, you can't have faith unless it's rooted in the Scriptures. Why do you do what you do? What's the right thing to do? Based on what authority? Based on what authority? Well, it's the right thing to do because I'm a Christian. How do you know that? And at the end of the day, it brings you right back to because the Bible tells me. That's what being full of faith is. It's having a faith-based relationship with the Word of God. A, a, A wife of a deacon has to be faithful, full of faith in all things. She needs to be full of faith. We all need to be full of faith. Amen? We need to be full of faith. We need to understand we have a Bible. God's revealed himself through his word. Let me just believe that. You see, the problem is, man, see, I got this handheld thing, and I feel like I just, this is bothering me. But the problem is in our culture, in our Christianity, that we put our faith in everything else except that book. See, there's more people that have put their faith in science in the last two years than they have ever put in that book. They put more faith in CNN and Fox News and Drudge and every other media outlet that's on this planet except for what this book says. They have more faith in what lost people are telling them than what the God of this universe has already told them in this book. That is not faithful Christianity. And I'm not promoting some kind of foolish behavior. But what I'm telling us is if we don't believe that book, we are not faithful. It just doesn't make sense to me. We can rattle every quote, every statistic, every study, and we can't rattle off book, chapter, and verse. And yet we call ourselves faithful Christians. Give me a break. As my friend Joe McKegg says, we are practicing, practicing atheists in the church of Jesus Christ because we don't have any faith. We don't have any faith in what this book says. Our emotions, our temperament, our decisions... Our discipline, our sanity is controlled by outside resources and things and networks and politicians. And yet God has given us his word that does not change, that is eternally settled in heaven, that are the words of truth. God help us to be faithful. And then ultimately it says that... that, that that this wife, the deacon is to be the husband of one wife. And again, we're not going to take an exhaustive study of, of, of what this really plays out as. But let me just say this. It does picture Christ in the exclusivity of marriage. In other words, this deacon is a man that's not married to multiple wives. He's married to one wife. Well, can a divorced man be a deacon? You know, that always comes up in church world. Well, is he married to one wife? Because if he's divorced, he's not married. (laughs) And if his wife dies, he's not married. And so if we need some education on 1 Corinthians 7, we'll we'll take that at a later time. 
But let me just tell you that this relationship is to picture Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband. So he's talking about a, a local church that has been espoused to one husband, which means that that one husband has one wife, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. He says that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So leaders should set the lifestyle standard in the home because the marriage and the home are to picture Christ in the church. We have to have right relationships at our home. We have to be right at home. Okay? And so listen, these qualifications are for the wife of the deacon. Let me ask this question. Ladies, would your character as a Christian wife qualify or disqualify your husband to serve as a deacon? In other words, would he meet all the qualifications, but because there's a requirement of you, his wife, would you qualify or disqualify him? Now, that's a strong question, isn't it? But 1 Timothy 3 says that she has to be these things, just like he has to be these things, okay? And, and so we need to take that into consideration. Again, listen, women are very important in the body of Christ. I don't think I echo that enough, but I'm, I'm telling you again, every Christian woman should desire to meet these qualifications as well as every qualification, just like every man should desire to meet every one of these qualifications, except being the husband of, or, 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 or he is the husband of one wife. The wife doesn't have to desire to be the husband of one wife because that's impossible. Please understand that, that according to the word of God, Women aren't biblically qualified to hold the office, even, they are, even though they are called to assist in the serving of the body of Christ. And this is why in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, Phoebe is mentioned as a servant of the church at Centria, not as a deacon of the church at Centria. Is that on the screen? Thank you. In the King James Bible, the Bible says, I commended to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. There's a reason that that word diakonos is translated servant in Romans 16 and not deacon because she doesn't fit the office of a deacon. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you don't have to agree with it. In other translations of the Bible, the, New, the Newer National Version, the Amplified Bible, the New Living Translation, all translate that word deacon in Romans 16 and verse 1, opening the door for modern versions of the Bible to create the unbiblical qualification for women as deacons. And by the way, if you're going to do that, you might as well open the door for women being the head of the home and women being the husbands of one wife. And, and, and let me just say this, man, maybe you're a woman in the room today and that takes you crooked. You don't like that. Let me ask you a question. Why would you want what God never intended for you? Why, why would you want what God never intended for you? Uh, God didn't call our wives to be the head of the home. But can I just tell you that if a wife pursues that, well, the one thing that's going to happen is a man's going to probably sit on his hands and let you. Can I also say that in the church, when women want to fulfill the office that God has not allowed them or, or open the door for them to participate in, men in the church will also sit on their hands and let them take it. Why would you want what God never intended for you? And by the way, when you do that, you're basically saying that you know better than God. Well, that kind of makes you God, doesn't it? When you change his words to fit your narrative, to fit your, your 
want, your desire. And, and again, man, if you, if you understand what the Word of God is teaching us, everybody has a lane to stay in. And when we start crossing the lane and crossing the median, man, wrecks happen and people get hurt. People get hurt in the body of Christ. Okay, so the deacon's wife has to be the right kind of wife. And then number four, the deacon has to fulfill the right kind of role in the body of Christ. He's got to fulfill the right kind of role. So we're now back to the man. The Bible says that the deacon is to be an extension of the pastor. If you go back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, the apostles said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and to serve tables. And so they needed help. They needed men that could step in and address the physical needs of the church, specifically the serving of tables. And the pastor says this is not reasonable for us to fulfill this role. And so the deacon is an extension of the pastoral ministry because he is the leader of the church. The second point you notice, the deacon serves the congregation physically, so the pastor is free to serve them spiritually. Acts 6 and verse 4 says that the, those apostles were going to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You say, well, that's only an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I mean, come on, Jay, what else do you do? I mean, really, you know. I mean, there's nothing else, there's nothing else you, you're, you're like work, you don't even work the full hour and a half, like Cody does like the first half of the service. I mean, Josh takes up, you know, 10 minutes, it's supposed to be mission minute, but it turns into mission minutes, but it's okay, it's fine, it's fine. All he's doing is just proving the point, Jay, that you don't do a lot of work around here, okay. I get it, I get it. Yeah, I forgot the hour on Wednesday, that's right, there is an hour that, you know, there is an hour of teaching on Wednesday night that Cody doesn't even show up for, so we're, we're thankful for that. <laughs> At least he doesn't cut into my time. Um, yeah. Where were we? <laughs> you see, pastoral leadership is first and foremost ministry that's spiritual ministry. Let me just tell you, prayer is labor. If you don't believe that, you tell me when you're free for an hour or two and come hang with me. I mean that. I want you to. And if you're free during the week and you got nothing to do, just send me a message and say, hey, bro, let's get together and pray. And let's, I'll do it, man. I'd be happy to pray with you. Like if you're available, men specifically, obviously, I don't want to create any kind of uh, weird scenario. But, but the point is, prayer is labor. And according to 2 Timothy, studying the Word of God is work. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So if we don't download our sermons from sermoncentral.net, and we actually study the Bible to put together messages, that's going to take work. It's going to take labor in the Word of God. And that's a spiritual ministry. And so there's other things that need physical attention. And again, we're not minimizing the physical needs of the church. They are evident, they're real, and they need attention. And that's where the deacon steps in. He fulfills the right kind of role in the body of Christ. Number five, he earns the right kind of reward. And listen, there is a blessing associated with the ministry of the deacon in the body of Christ. Look at verse 13, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want to break that verse down. You got a few minutes? Okay, listen, it's raining. You're not going to leave anyway. So listen, the first part of that verse is really powerful. They that use the office of a deacon well, if you use it well, there's also a risk that you don't use it well. 
And so anyone that would be ordained and, and, and appointed into this office, they have a choice to make. Am I going to use this well or not well? If they use it well, here's what happens. They purchase to themselves a couple of things. We'll get to that in a second. You see that word purchase is really, it's a unique word. Purchase to themselves. That means that they are, they are they're acquiring something. They're paying the price thereof to gain something. That same word is used in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 concerning Christ. Look what it says. The Bible says, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to the flock. Paul's teaching the, the elders at Ephesus, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, Christ laid down his life for the church. He purchased the church. He acquired the church through the payment that was required so that he could possess it and he could own it. And as it relates to ministry in the church and specifically the deacon ministry, what are you willing to lay your life down for? And for a deacon, the answer to that question has to be the ministry of the church. I'm willing to lay down my life to purchase these things so that I can serve the body of Christ. And again, that's why those other qualifications are so important. Why well, don't I have time to serve? I got to work. I got my kids in, in 20 different sports. I got all these things going on. Okay, listen, that is not an excuse. That is not an excuse. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's an area of concern because when there is no freedom or willingness or or ability to serve the body of Christ, then what exactly are you doing? You're investing in things that aren't going to matter. You're investing in things that aren't going to matter. And, and so a deacon is going to purchase to himself a, a particular reward. Number one, he's going to purchase to himself a good degree. A good degree. So you can, you can get a degree finally because those are important in Christianity. That word degree literally means a step or a place, okay? And let me just say this, man. You don't earn salvation. Salvation is free to everybody. That's God's gift to you. But anything beyond that is earned. A reward is earned. A step is earned. Heaven is everyone's guarantee that's born again in Christ. However, your place in God's kingdom, your step or your degree is earned. It's based on your faithfulness with the grace of God and God. God's word guiding your life, and a deacon can purchase to himself a good degree. James chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Let the, the brother of a low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. In other words, our goal is to have brothers, and, brothers in Christ of low degree to rejoice with the opportunity to serve as a deacon in the body of Christ. You purchase it. It's going to cost you. Just like pastoral ministry is going to cost you your life, listen, ministry as a deacon is going to cost you. It's absolutely going to cost you. But when you use it well, you purchase to yourself a good degree. Secondly, you purchase to yourself boldness in the faith. These things can be bought. And I love this, man. You, you use the office of a deacon well, you purchase to yourself boldness in the faith. In other words, you, you purchase the, the boldness to speak God's word to whoever needs to hear it, inside the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ. In other words, deacons will, will have boldness 
as it relates to internal ministry in the local church, because they'll have boldness in the Word of God, they'll speak God's Word, they'll apply God's Word to this situation, but they'll also have boldness in the, in the community because they'll be able to go out and preach the gospel. We ought to do that anyways. But those that especially use the office of a deacon will purchase to themselves boldness in the faith. you got all these verses, Acts 4 and verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. My kind of people. <laughs> I'm a champion for the unlearned and ignorant, man. I'm that kind of just moron. And, and listen, other people saw Peter and John and it says they saw their boldness. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with, with Christ. Boldness comes from a right walk with Jesus. Didn't have anything to do with microphone level, your ability to yell and scream. Boldness comes from a right, a right walk with Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. What a tremendous prayer. The prayer gets answered in verse 31. When they prayed, the place was shaken. Where they were assembled together, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. Guys, we've got to have boldness as it relates to the faith. And that comes, from, that comes from personal time with God's word, personal time in prayer, personal time using the office of a deacon well. That gives us boldness in the faith. Okay, and then, and then number six, lastly, when a man uses the office of a deacon well, it yields the right kind of results. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. After, after all of the, the, the consideration and the recommendation and the laying on of hands and the appointing of these men over this business, the Bible says in verse 7 that the word of God increased. That's always a good thing. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Well, that's a good thing. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's a good thing. So there was nothing negative that happened through this recommendation and appointment of deacons within the body of Christ. It was all positive result. It was spiritual growth. The word of God increased, the number of disciples multiplied, and even the priests, the, the, the Jewish Levitical priests, were obedient to the faith. You see, when spiritual leaders are doing what they're called to do, and the deacons within the body of Christ are serving the body in, in, in the way that they are supposed to serve, the word of God increases and the number of disciples continues to multiply. That's the kind of results we want and can expect as we follow God's pattern for leadership in the local church. All right, so, so what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. <laughs> so in your, in, your, in your chair this morning when you came in, you had a piece of paper. Uh, you had two pieces of paper. That was a misspeak. Uh, the first piece of paper was your summer notes. The second piece of paper was a deacon recommendation form. Now, we're not done yet, but, but I want you to listen. I want you to take that piece of paper, and, and on that piece of paper, it says, because I understand the biblical process and also the qualifications required, here are the men whom I believe are evident to serve in this body in the role of a deacon. In other words, we're, we're asking you right now to look ye out among yourselves. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. You need to consider the candidate, and does he meet the biblical qualifications? And then based on what we learned this morning, does his wife, if he's married, meet those biblical qualifications? And, and prayerfully, there's seven blanks. That'll leave you seven blanks. You don't have to name seven people. That just put seven because that's what they did in Acts chapter 6. I don't know. 
whatever. We may have 20 men. The point is, you need to put some names down. And then as you put those names down, remember that you're saying that you understand the process, the qualifications, and that you're able to see the life of Christ in these people in our church. And then I'm going to ask you to put your name down. Now, why do you think I would do that? Because I want to know your ability to discern what's happening in our body of believers. And so no anonymous recommendation is going to be considered. The other thing is that you may have showed up this morning and not a member of this church and write down, you know, the four names of the Ninja Turtles or something. And I just kind of want to know who to dropkick this week, okay? So I just, I just want to know who you are. It's important that you, that you take accountability for the names that you recommend. You're saying that these people are, are, in your opinion, your understanding by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, are qualified to serve as a deacon. And then we're going to take those names and, and we're going to sort through those names and then we're going to use the Bible as our filter and say, okay, is this person saved? Is this person meet the biblical qualifications? If they're married, does their wife meet the biblical qualifications? And then fourthly, are they willing to serve? And if they're willing to serve, we want to we bring them to the church family and say, hey, this is who, according to your recommendation, these men are qualified, biblically, and willing to serve in this office. Does that make sense? And so I want to give you just a minute to do that. But as you're doing that, let me also give you a couple things to think about. You know, we covered a lot of material the last three weeks. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you yourself are not a disciple of Christ. In other words, do you meet these qualifications? Do you have this type of character? Are these qualifications evident in your life? And if not, why not? And, and maybe you just got saved last week and, and you're a work in progress. And I get it, man. I remember what I was like when I got saved. And I remember the week after I got saved, I was still using words I wasn't supposed to use and thinking things I wasn't supposed to think. And it took a minute. Does that make sense? You did that too. But listen, if we've been saved for a amount of time, we ought to have some character that's been developed like Christ in our life. If we don't meet those qualifications, why not? Are we not growing? Are we not maturing? Do we need to get discipled? Do we need to disciple other people so that there's a level of accountability that I can't fake it week to week because this guy that I'm teaching the Word of God is going to see in my life something contrary to what I'm teaching him? Are we disciples of Christ? Do we have the character of Christ? And then, ladies, this is a very serious question. As a wife, would you qualify or disqualify your husband to serve in this capacity? And I don't mean that harshly. I mean it for consideration. Because both have requirements biblically that must be met. And I didn't write it. God wrote it. And they must be met. And so I'm going to ask us to pray. You can finish filling that in just a second. Let's just bow our heads and pray and consider these things in our life.